This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the MDT I am Joe Preston. And I am Ian Wilkinson. And this is the final episode of the first series. It is. And this episode, we're going to be talking about rehabilitation potential, which is something that I know a few of you have asked us to do an episode on. Uh, so we're pleased to be doing this. Um, it's a nice, meaty topic yep. for us to get into. The MDT Podcast. So we're going to kick off with some feedback, as usual. We've had some nice feedback from Greg Cartwright, who is a physiotherapist. His Twitter handle is at Greg Fee, who's been listening back to some of the episodes from Series 1, now that we're coming to an end. Um, listening to the Falls episode and said that actually a learning point for him was uh, fear of falling and remembering to incorporate that into his assessment. Oh, that's a really important thing. Yeah. So we're drawing to the end of this series, but the next series is due to start about the beginning of August. We think it's going to come out. That's the plan. The first few episodes are going to be on frailty. It's going to be our very first episode. And then we're going to do... Acute stroke. Acute stroke. And following that, bone health. Yes. So there's nice three strong ones to kick us off. What we're really trying to do is to get some resources from you guys, uh, things that you use, things that you use to help you, or teaching or learning aids that you use around these things. If you share them with us, we will try and incorporate them into the episodes. Yeah, and to be honest, even really good things, any learning resources, good YouTube videos, anything like that, we can put the links on the website uh, so that we can share the learning amongst everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And the other episodes coming up in the rest of this series too uh, will be up on our website shortly so the website is www.thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk forward slash mdt and t is like a cup of tea while we're having a little bit of a break uh, we don't want you to go to sleep and rest entirely we'd like to think about person-centered care because that's something that's come out a lot during this episode mm, we've series. talked about it quite a lot it's, yeah. it's filtered into quite a lot of our episodes yeah and we thought it was something really important to try and draw out a little bit more and get us all to think about it a little bit more mm. so we went to a conference where we were presenting some some things about this podcast yeah, so this was the neat conference in coventry mm-hmm. and i can we can recommend anyone that's vaguely interested in education and multidisciplinary teams to go. It was a really, really, really good day. It's the National Association of Educational in Practice. Yeah. yeah. And there were some really nice talks about patient-centred care there and compassion. And one of the talks that really struck us was people giving examples of patient-centred care that they had seen. Or even person-centred care, because it doesn't necessarily have to be to the patient, yeah, to other staff members as well. So what we would like you to do is to send us... Any examples of really good person-centred care that you're observing? That you're observing, yeah. And so something that one of your colleagues has done, something that they've done to you, to a patient, with a patient, whatever. Just send us examples, we'll collate them, and then we'll start putting them out in the beginning of the next series. Yeah. And this was a really nice presentation, wasn't it? Because just the act of noticing these things made people more aware of it, more likely to do it themselves, and actually... um, noticing really nice things around the ward so uh, we thought that would be a nice thing to try and do yeah that could be the well. the somebody bringing you a cup of tea when you're having a bad day mm-hmm. getting a patient's particular favorite fruit drink or newspaper or something it could be anything at all yeah but please send us really good examples and you can do that via twitter we're going to use the hashtag mdt 
PCC, <laughs> person-centered care, or via our website, www.thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk, or facebook.com forward slash MDT podcast. Tea in each of those cases is like a cup of tea. The MDT podcast. We've got a full MDT faculty that's been helping us with the content of this episode. And the contributors for this particular episode are Sarah Jane Ryan, who's a physiotherapist. Pam Trangmar, who's a physician associate. And Tracy CK, who's an occupational therapist. And they're all core members of our faculty. And as ever, we start each episode with some comments from an MDT that we work with. Mm -hmm. And this is what they said. I'm a consultant geriatrician who has a community focus. To me, rehabilitation potential probably means the MDT's perceived ability of the patient reaching a designated goal or potential to improve from their current state. Um, I'm a sister on an orthopaedic elderly care unit. So it's looking at whether the person can return home to where they came from before or whether they would need a further spell in a rehabilitation unit or maybe if they can't return to the place they were before, looking at whether they can cope with their everyday activities of living um, and what they were having to do before, whether they've got that potential to reach that again. I'm a physiotherapist on an orthopaedic ward. In general, rehab potential means it's the level of function people have to achieve in order to return home safe, which is normally the pre-admission level of function. For people with dementia, it's the level of function we think someone could potentially achieve in a reasonable time frame and safely. So it's a bit tricky, rehab potential, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's tricky. It's, you know, when, when we started reading about this one i thought right at the beginning i thought we should do one on rehab potential and i mm. thought it would be quite easy to pull up articles and papers to yeah. talk about but it's not and i thought it's gonna be really easy to distill down as well but yeah. it's i think writing this episode has made me realize that it's difficult for a reason yeah and that is that it is really complex there yeah. aren't any quick and easy answers so and it, sorry about that now no. and it kind <laughs> of ties in nicely with where we started this whole series and comprehensive geriatric assessment. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when thinking about what rehab potential is, I think we have to go back, actually, mm-hmm. and say, well, what is rehabilitation? Mm-hmm. And, and what is it, Joe? So there's some nice definitions. There's one from this Boston Working Group on improving healthcare outcomes through geriatric rehabilitation. And they've said, and this fits really nicely with CGA, says geriatric rehabilitation is a multidisciplinary set of evaluative diagnostic and therapeutic interventions whose purpose is to restore functional ability or enhance residual functional capability in elderly people with disabling impairments. Yeah, and really we could tweak those words very slightly and that would be Mm. our definition that we started off the beginning of the series with, with CGA, which was about a multifactor or multidimensional assessment and treatment of patients. What I really love about that is the evaluative and diagnostic elements. Yeah. So it isn't just saying this is just... There's just one component, which is the physical rehabilitation. It's working out what the problem is and doing something about it to optimise them. Yeah, and it's about... that really speaks to me. Yeah, and it's restoring an individual Mm. back to their fullest physical, mental or indeed social social capability. capability. Yeah. Yeah. And that definition comes from John Young's paper in the Mm. BMJ back in 1998. And I think it still stands today. And again, the link to that will be in the show notes. And so usually then we do a practical definition, but I think that that probably works. I don't think we need to do anything more there. So we'll just jump straight into the evidence part of the show. So where does it start? 
Marjorie Warren. I think it starts with Marjorie Warren. Mm. And and Marjorie Warren was this great woman who um was a was a, a physician. Well, she was really the first geriatrician and, and she took over the running of a hospital in Isleworth, just outside Twickenham. <laughs> and when she took over the running of the hospital, there were 700 and something beds in the hospital. All patients who were what they termed at the time chronic sick. So they were long-term residents of the mm. hospital. And she basically did a cohort study of what we'd now call rehabilitation. <laughs> mm. So she employed and used the skills of physical therapists, physiotherapists, and got patients out of bed, got mm-hmm. them dressed, set up exercise programs for each patient. And over the course of the first, I think it was like the first year or something, we'll put the reference in the show notes, but discharged like 60% of the patients from this institution. And these are people that people have given up on? Yeah, essentially, yeah. yeah. And so she's a complete trailblazer. She also said that geriatric patients or older patients need a specialist physician to look after them and a specialist multidisciplinary team to look after Mm -hmm. them. And it's really because of Marjorie Warren back in the 1940s that that we are where we are today. Yeah, we are the specialists that we are. And a lot of the stuff that she wrote is still very pertinent to the way that we practice healthcare Mm -hmm. today. So I can't suggest to you enough to go back and have a have a look at some of Marjorie Warren's stuff. When we were doing this, Ian was like, oh, I've got that paper somewhere. I'll go and find it. It's yeah. great. <laughs> so first of all, we're going to talk about a review that was specifically aimed at geriatric inpatient rehabilitation. And yeah, and that's a systematic review and meta-analysis. Mm. So for, for those of you who don't know, so a systematic review is it's pulling together a load of articles that were done before and then doing a systematic or a mm. logical assessment of those to come up with a like a guidance statement, yeah. I guess, if you like. And I think we're probably going to demonstrate for you today with some of the papers that we talk about the problems and applying those to this kind of cohort yeah. of patients because you're trying to compare like for like and that doesn't happen all that often no. in yeah. geriatrics. Um, but this paper showed that it had the potential to improve outcomes related to function, related to admission to nursing homes, and also on mortality. So it had a positive benefit on all of those things. Yeah. So it's really something that we know is worthwhile doing. But there wasn't enough data within that to look into this particular characteristics or the cost effectiveness of, of the programmes, but it did show positive outcomes. Yeah, and it, I think, shows that the process works But I don't think, hand on heart, we know exactly what the perfect model looks like. No. And that paper kind of says that to me. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the papers we're going to talk through today are going to look at specific groups of people who traditionally are thought to not have much rehab potential and hopefully show to you that there are some really positive studies in those groups of patients. You can kind of extrapolate that back to your practice, although we don't have something that specifically says this programme works we know that there are benefits for patients, so people who have dementia, people who live in care homes, and um, things like that. Yeah, but I think, if we're honest, not everyone will be suitable for rehabilitation. Yeah. So, for example, patients that are at the end of their stage of their disease. Yes, yeah, so it's a natural progression that there yeah. is no reversibility from. There may not be a huge amount to gain from rehabilitation. Uh, not to say that there isn't in, in everybody, and I think we have to kind of have the assumption that everyone has rehabilitation potential and work from there but I think it's being conscious that it isn't for everyone this isn't something that we can just blanketly apply to everyone and say everyone if given six weeks will get better so this is really about trying to select the right people I think the other thing to have in mind though is that some people who may appear to have little to gain from a purely kind of functional perspective there can be rehabilitation gains there 
that can mean a lot for their independence, either physically or psychologically. So, for example, someone who is hoist transferred might be considered to not have any rehabilitation potential because they don't really walk and they don't transfer. But actually, there are small individual things that they can do, maybe related yeah, to personal so you, care, if, that actually would mean that they can live a much more fulfilled kind of independent life for themselves. Completely. <laughs> and so if you could work on their sitting balance, then they may be able to be hoisted to sit in a chair which is generally, we feel, confers maybe a better quality of life or a better functional position than staying in bed. So first of all, we're going to touch on dementia and rehabilitation in dementia. So as well as affecting cognition and behaviour, dementia can also affect your balance and your gait. Yeah, linking back to what we said in previous episodes on the the episode on cognition, Mm -hmm. dementia often starts in one area, but it's not really just limited to that. Mm -hmm. And then, so thinking back to the last episode where we're talking about dizziness, dementia can affect your, or can cause disequilibrium, so it can affect your gait and your walking, and also can affect your higher functions, so your planning, your Mm -hmm. execution, and sort of interpreting information into an action. And then sticking with that structure that we talked through for the dizziness with the the higher, the lower and the middle, at the lower level, you can have reduced muscle strength um, and that can contribute to poor balance as well. And so looking at physical therapy that can help with muscle strength training, that can be beneficial in, in improving your balance. And there is a nice study that was done in nursing home dementia patients or residents in Norway and for 12 weeks they twice weekly had small group exercise program versus having usual care and about 80 85 people in each group yeah, and that they used showed... the Berg balance scale didn't they as yeah. their outcome measure which is really it's, it's quite neat because that's something that we use yes. quite a lot so yeah. it's a good good outcome measure that's yeah. that relevant to real life and it showed improvements in the Berg mm. balance score so that's that's something that you know these weren't people that were having problems it's just a group of people that they they went and looked at and actually found that they had the potential yeah. to do better than so they a real were doing. proof of concept that patients with yeah. dementia do get better and there's something that I I know is a thing, but I can't find a good reference on it, which is something called errorless learning, which is the, the idea that when doing therapy with patients with dementia, if you do the therapy in such a way that their feet and their posture and things is correct every time, it kind of leaches into your muscle memory and it becomes the way that they do it when you're not there. I've been trying to find a good <laughs> reference for it and I can't. So if, if anyone can find a good reference on errorless yes, learning or no. error-free learning in dementia, then please do let me know. But that's really nice because usually adults with dementia are excluded from a lot of studies, aren't they? Yes. And there was a nice review article in Experimental Gerontology from 2013 that says that they were only able to find 20 studies that involved patients with dementia uh, when thinking about rehabilitation. There are a lot out there. And there are a lot out there. And of those 20, only nine of them were Mm. moderate or higher quality. And only one of them was in a nursing home population. Yeah. And in that one study that confirmed the Norwegian findings... There was a reduction in the decline in function in activities of daily living after a rehabilitation exercise program. Mm. And Cochrane did a review as well, didn't Mm. they, looking at exercise programs and activities of daily living, and they found improvements there as well. And they also said that there's lots of quite promising research on the cognitive benefits Mm. of exercise, 
but SJR physiotherapists are very excited about this. Yeah, and th- I mean, there's a really nice review article that you can search for, and it's not kind of related to this. So I'm not going to put it in the show notes, but you can search for it. And so it's looking at patients with mild cognitive impairment mm. and trying to look at the effects of exercise on the progression to dementia. Mm. And patients that do exercise are less likely to progress on to get dementia. Mm. It's a really interesting area. That's something they kind of looked at in the Cochrane review, but they mm. didn't see the benefits there. But as we were talking before about systematic reviews and meta-analyses and why they're quite difficult... In that Cochrane review, there was just a really widespread of inclusion criteria. So for the programmes that there were, both on patient selection, so the severity and the types of dementia that people had, but also the type and duration and the frequency of exercise that they were doing. So they really couldn't make any cross-comparisons. That doesn't necessarily mean that those benefits aren't there. It just means you can't put all of these together to make any more. And I guess as an example, there's a, a study that talks about patients with dementia following a hip fracture. Mm -hmm or rather patients with dementia who've had a hip fracture. And it's a review of the rehabilitation there. And actually they showed that that group had relatively similar gains in function to those patients without dementia, which is a really good finding, but doesn't mean that all patients with dementia will have a similar outcome to other patients without dementia. So you have to kind of take the study in context. Mm. But I think it's nice as that kind of... As you said, the proof of concept that if you have dementia, that you still have rehab potential. and that Because yes. that is a common thing you come across, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, they've yeah. got dementia, so they're probably not going to do very well. Well, actually, you, you that's not true. Yeah. And that's no. not borne out in studies either. And so rehabilitation is clearly useful in the post-acute care time. Mm-hmm. So that's after someone's been unwell. And indeed, there's a nice guidance on rehabilitation following critical care, so yeah. following ITU stay. Mm-hmm. And that specifically talks about uh, including patients who have dementia mm-hmm. in that. But I think the question comes as to what the multidisciplinary team understands by mm-hmm. rehab potential. And this is the big thing. Yeah, because we know that rehab works, but what is rehab potential? What does that mean to everybody? How do you everybody? choose the people that have it? And importantly, how do you choose the people that don't have it? Because yeah. we said at the beginning, you have to assume that, or you should have the mindset that everyone has rehabilitation potential. I think until they prove that they don't, or unless you have a good reason that they don't. Um, but it is something that people will say quite quickly, I find, on the mm, boards. Mm. Um, people particularly jump, people you, with less geriatric experience yeah. will be quite quick to say... Oh, there's no rehab potential. Yeah, they're not making progress. Yeah, and just kind of unpicking why that might be. There's a there's quite a nice paper, isn't there, about looking into that? Yeah, I think that's that's quite an interesting area. And it starts off by saying that the the concept of rehabilitation potential, as we said, is important, but there's not a very good shared understanding mm. of what rehab potential means yeah. between different groups of staff. And and so they went through and they they asked staff what they thought it meant, and then they did a like a thematic analysis, a qualitative analysis on what they said. And this is where um, kind of qualitative research, I think, really comes into its own and where it should very definitely be used. Where you've got quantitative studies which aren't able to answer your question, you have to kind of say, are we asking the right question? Do we know what we're looking for? And qualitative studies are very good at finding out what what is the problem? What's the question? to generate those ideas yeah. to be looked into. So that's that's why I really liked this study mm. because it, it wasn't trying to just prove programme against programme. It's trying to say, OK, what what is the problem yeah. here? And so they took an MDT, a bit like our MDT. Mm-hmm. They asked them what they thought, a bit like our MDT. <laughs> uh, and there are three things that stood out. The first of all is the idea of carryover. 
Mm. Um, now, I think some of us will know what that means. Some people may not. Mm. So, Joe, what do you? What does carryover mean to you? <laughs> to, to me personally, yes. <laughs> uh, carryover is between sessions. So, if you teach something or you go through something with with someone in one session, do they remember it? Are they able to still do it the next time? Yeah. So, I think there's a distinction there, isn't there? It's do they remember it, mm. and can they still do it? Yeah. And that's the thing because they may not remember it, but they may still be able to do it. Yes. Yeah. Then the second bit was about functional gain. Mm-hmm. And again, that means different things to different people. Does it? I would have thought that it means fairly similar things. To well, I think, I, yeah, I'm not convinced everyone understands what we mean when we say functional gain. It's, it's one step along your sort of your goals, I mm. think. So it's not necessarily being able to walk again, but it may be being able to stand up so that you can transfer. Mm. So it's something that is giving benefit to you. Yeah. And then the third bit is about a recovery trajectory how they're improving. Yeah, so over a longer time period. Yeah. So looking at point A, looking at point B, which might be two, three, four weeks down the yeah. line. And then looking to see when it plateaus. Where are they going, yeah. yeah. And so they felt that judgment on these three factors seem to affect interactions with patients, actually, mm. um, and was a, a thing that we all sort of take with us when we're talking to patients, and they felt that we sort of internally weigh these things up mm. and that affects how we talk to patients as to whether or not we sort of the balance, the optimism and realism and, and mm. sort of the interaction there, which I guess in turn may go on and become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know. Mm. There's, there's, there's more to unpick in that, I think. It's difficult with these, this kind of thing, isn't it? Because your feedback loop is your own. Yeah. The decisions that you make influence your future decisions, but if you're not having an open mind about what those decisions are... You won't ever know if you're no, right exactly. or wrong. There's been a literature review on the assessment and selection of patients in acute hospitals, their need for inpatient rehabilitation before they go home. And they found that the assessment of, well, we know that the assessment of that is a really important skill to have um, and really has the potential to improve patient outcomes. As we said, there was that review at the beginning that showed that it, it reduces mortality. Mm. You're more likely to, to go home. And they, they sort of found that... But in terms still... of the yeah the medical the social and the psychological factors that make up that selection for rehab, mm. really they said that the literature was too poor to be able to make any yeah. assumptions and suggested a Delphi consensus and yeah. um, may be able to benefit to guide future decision making. Yeah. I feel um, like we're doing quite a lot of um, different types of research and what they are today. We are. So we do Delphi yes. consensus. Yeah, so Delphi really. is is where you have a group of experts in mm. a field. And you ask them a question and you give them a, a whole range of different potential answers mm. and they select the answers that they think and then you put this sort of consensus opinion together. Yeah, so a certain number of people have to agree to it. So it's where you don't have a good evidence base. You take experts in the field to come together to create some guidance. It's sort of guidance to go on and direct further research, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And there's a nice quote from an editorial by Wade from last year mm. uh, in the Clinical Rehabilitation Journal talking about how rehabilitation differs from the medical model in two different ways. Mm. Now, the medical model is sort of the traditional model that most hospitals in particular tend to work mm -hmm. to. And I think one of the things that we're trying to say with these podcasts is that Perhaps now is time for us to move away from the medical model and move to a much more multidisciplinary model for all patients. Mm. And, and that's kind of the first thing that it says, isn't it? Yeah. It says liaison between teams is absolutely imperative. Yeah. We say this isn't research, but it, we thought it really rang true for us. This editorial was a really nice summary. 
And that secondly, it's learning. So by the patient and the relatives uh, is key to the process that's taking place in rehabilitation. Yeah, and everything we do is learning, really. Mm. And that both of those things, the learning with the patient and the relatives and the liaison between teams really focuses on communication. And our take-home message is that communication is the key skill in rehabilitation Mm. by both talking to the patient, being honest with them about their progress, their wishes for the future Mm. um, and communicating that with the team is just so Mm. so important just because the patient's making progress in your particular area of the Mm. rehab doesn't mean that they're not making making progress somewhere else you have to be listening in your MDTs and be open to to those gains that are happening elsewhere outside of your frame of mind um, with regards to what rehabilitation potential is and it's not just one person saying that they do or don't it is everyone together And so this week we have covered rehabilitation potential. Mm. We've talked about that there's not much literature out there and you'd think there would be. We're sorry about that, but hopefully we've given you some nice bits of, I think we have given you some nice bits of research out there to say that those groups that traditionally people think don't have rehabilitation do. Yeah. And so this is a kind of positive area and and something. And that the things to think about really are the carryover that patients have. Yeah the functional gain that you're looking for and then the trajectory of the rehabilitation. Yes. And to be really patient focused yeah. with your outcomes and not not be too framed by the pressures of what's going on in the hospital and and your particular viewpoint and model that you're coming from. Perfect. The MDT podcast. And now it's time for the MDTs yeah, and the MD teaser is our MDT item guessing game. And we will go through five increasingly simple clues, Joe. Mm-hmm. They get yes. easier as it goes on. Just um, because you don't about, understand them, Ian. About you? an item that the MDT <laughs> would use. And I'm going to go first this week. <laughs> All right. First clue. Mm-hmm. These are mostly used by one part of the MDT, but their contents is determined by other members of the MDT. Airplan? No, good guess though. Okay. The second clue. Mm-hmm. These are usually used four times a day, sometimes more, but on my ward, never less. Bringing uh, my diamond ortho geriatrician. I was going to say like an like one of the ops machines. Good guess, but no. No. Okay. Third clue. There is generally one per ward, and it has four wheels. Ultrasound machine. No. No, I don't know many words. Oh, no, you wouldn't use that four times a day. Okay. Um, Fourth clue. It is kept locked when not in use and never left alone. What? When unlocked. Um, Oh, drugs round. Drugs trolley. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Excellent. All right, my turn. I really, really, really like this one. Are you ready? Yes. First clue. Nice and simple, this one. It addresses a sensory impairment. Now, we've done communicate before, mm-hmm. so you're not going to do that. Addresses a sensory impairment. Is it a pair of glasses? Oh, yes. I had some really good clues. Oh, Can I just do my clues anyway? <laughs> if you want. They're yes. really good. Okay. My next clue was, overall, they reduce falls risk, but some kinds increase it. Yep. Because the very focals yeah. increase your falls risk. One type links to a classic Jaffa cake advert. Remember that? No. You seen the full moon, half moon, 
utter eclipse. <laughs> eating the Jaffa cake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so, you know, that, that was a good clue, the half-moon glasses. Yeah, the that same wouldn't word. have helped after that. <laughs> the same word would be used to describe a material and a different object altogether. Yeah, glass. Um, and you use these every day too. There we go. There so we that go. was the final oh, part of that bit. Simple. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we now have the final MD teaser for you mm-hmm. for this series. Yes. If this is not guessed, it goes on into the ether because we're going to start afresh with the new series. So this clue is. This clue is. This item is named after a piece of fruit. So let us know what you think it is. Use the hashtag MDTeaser on Twitter or Facebook or email us through our website www.thehearingaidpodcast.org.uk And our MDT will reconvene in August. Bye! Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. The MDT Podcast is a Hearing Aid Podcast's Big Things Media production. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk.